Hello, this is Peter Jonathan Robertson with the 31st episode of the PJ Archive. It's an interview I did with the brilliant American musician Ray Manzarek, best known as keyboard player with The Doors. A likeable and fascinating character, Ray sadly died in 2013 at the age of 74. This interview took place at his Los Angeles home, where you might hear his pet parrot in the background. It was 1992, the year after Oliver Stone's movie The Doors was released. So I began by asking Ray what he thought of it. Well, um, a lot of people find it very exciting and and, and, uh, uh, very intriguing. Uh, I personally thought uh, it was a uh, terrible portrayal of Jim Morrison. I hated the movie myself. I thought it was a very exciting movie, um, well photographed. Uh, The rock and roll sequences were very exciting, but it wasn't true to the basic spirit of The Doors or the 60s. It wasn't psychedelic. It was like a white powder movie. It was was dusted with the wrong substance, uh, a a, a substance known for substance abuse. It was like a a movie made, uh, it was like a 1978 sort of rock and roll band. It had nothing to do with 68, it was more 78. Too much alcohol. Uh, Morrison was not an alcoholic like that. Granted, he drank and obviously had a problem with drinking, but to portray Jim Morrison running around with a bottle in his hand all the time was uh, its ridiculous. He never did that. Nobody does that. You don't glug, 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 glug out of a bottle. That's insane. You can't do that. You would die. And it lacked the philosophical, uh, it really lacked the philosophical side uh, uh, of the doors. And the reason for the doors, the raison d'etre for the doors, was not to make money and and music and money and go on the road and tour and have uh, chicks and all of that business. It was a much more philosophical, uh, uh, the 60s were much more philosophical. You were making music to plug yourself into the vibrations of the planet, harmonize your inner vibration with the vibration of the audience, the human beings vibrating in harmony together. It beca- it's, it, it's like a pagan, it's like some sort of a mystical Christian uh, Jesus talking about dwelling in harmony with your brethren. That's what we were trying to do. It's like to find the, the Christ, you know, the mystical Christ, the, uh, uh, the release of uh, Kundalini, the Kundalini power expanding in your body and curling and coiling upwards. Uh, that's what the 60s were all about. I, uh, gosh, we played in England. We played at the uh, Roundhouse when we first went over there, and it's on videotape. We played with the Jefferson Airplane. What a bunch of hippies. They were incredible. It was like Los Angeles, New York, uh, San Francisco, Chicago, and London were just, you know, psychic out of their minds, just absolutely beautiful, harmonious, fabulous evenings. And at the end of uh, end of the video, live at the Roundhouse, or I think it's, anyway, it was live at the Roundhouse, um, the announcer says, uh, if you want to stay around and groove quietly, that's fine, but please be advised that there are two, 3,000 people who are waiting outside to come in to receive some of the medicine that you've just had, some of the medicine. And the medicine was, what is medicine for? To heal you. That's, that's, all, that's what it was all about. We, what we were attempting to do as the doors was to heal the psychic split of Western civilization in which nature and man have been separated. Nature and industry have been separated so that we're now destroying 
planet. The 60s were an attempt to heal that split. And uh, none of that, of course, comes over in the Doors movie. <laughs> I, I gather from what you're saying that you weren't consulted in any way for the movie. Uh, consulted, yeah. I read the script. Let me put it this way: I was consulted. I read the script, and I said, "This script is terrible." Yeah, I talked to Oliver Stone, man. I talked to Oliver Stone the same way I'm talking to you, and told him what the '60s were all about. I've got. Uh, I talked to him for two days. You're saying he didn't listen then? He uh, another. Uh, the, the great Jewish mystic Yeshua Bar Joseph in uh, Israel 2,000 years ago said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He didn't hear. You know, he had ears, but he didn't hear. He just didn't understand it. And it's like, unless you're psychedelic, you don't understand what psychedelic is. You know, like, what is, what's he talking about? You know? So did you express your dissatisfaction to him after Oh, the yeah. Uh, well, before the movie came out, uh, the script, the first the first draft of the script. So you make a, mo a movie, is the script. What the script is, you're going to take that, that's your philosophical foundation, then you're going to cast it with people to play the parts, and you're going to photograph it and make an entertaining evening out of it. I read the script, and I said, this is terrible. This is not The Doors. This is not what we talked about. You're off on the wrong foot. You're going in the wrong direction. It's straight ahead. Set the controls to the heart of the sun. You have made a left-hand turn. You've started off forward march, and you've gone to the left. Off to the left is a swamp. There is a swamp over there. Don't go over there, Oliver. Uh, and then everyone else marched off and followed him. And it was like I could watch this army of men in single file marching into a swamp of confusion, a swamp of a dark Freudian place. What did he say when he protested? Oh, this is the movie I'm going to make. I, 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 you're wrong. I'm right. There are other people who know Jim Morrison uh, better than you do. Oh, really? Are there other people who know Jim Morrison better than I do? Well, maybe there are, and maybe there aren't. But I know the philosophy of Jim Morrison. I know why the Doors exist. I know why Jim Morrison became a rock and roll singer and what we were trying to do, if you're going to make a movie about that. What did you think of the portrayals of the four of you? Uh... Well, Val Kilmer was too old, I think. Uh, he should have been... Uh, he lacked the the charm. He lacked Morrison's charm. Morrison was uh, immensely charming, especially when he put on the... Uh, when he wanted to turn it on, he would just charm the pants right off of you. He would charm uh, a girl's underpants right off. Just, she could be standing there. There come her panties down. And he didn't even have to touch her to do that. There They would come down. <laughs> he was He was a very funny guy. Very witty, extremely intelligent, very gracious, very charming, and that doesn't come out in the film. When he was drunk, this is a, this is one of the American maladies. Uh, there's a, uh, a schizophrenic, and I think the next decade is going to be the decade in America of schizophrenic breakdowns. Morrison was a schizophrenic, and when he was drunk, the nasty Jim Morrison would come out. But then I think you guys are probably aware of that uh, aspect in people, too. Uh, a, a, certainly an island that's known for tippling a bit. Uh, when people get drunk, a lot of them, serious drunks, tend to be nasty people. And Jim was very, very nasty when he was drunk. And that was the hell of it, because he was such a good guy, such a good, brilliant human being when he was on his game and when he was straight. And when he would drink, he would just turn into... Uh, Jimbo, the nasty Jimbo, the mean Jimbo. And you always wonder, why would he drink? Why, man? What? <laughs> why drink 
to put yourself into that state. And Danny Sugarman said it's to hide the pain. Of what? Yeah, right, to hide... Of course, all alcoholics do that. Yeah, Danny's absolutely right about that. Yes, indeed. To hide the pain, to cover up the pain of... Question mark. Of does, does it upset you the way that Jim Morrison's been turned into this great god since he died? Well, I wish they would turn him into a great poet, because that's what I know Jim Morrison as. For me, uh, we are... <laughs> See, here's what the 60s are all about. Again, for me, we are all gods. We are all the gods. Jim Morrison is no different from you, from me, and from everyone else. We are the gods. Some of us can uh, play the piano a little better. Jim could write poetry better, dance around and sing better. But in the 60s, we were all the gods. So what's happened from the 60s to the 90s is that, obviously, the young people have lost sight of their divinity. Uh, They are slaves. They've gone back to being slaves again. In the 60s, we were able to break free of the prevailing Western civilization, both religious and cultural thought of slavery. We were no longer the slaves. We were free men. We became free men on the planet, men and women, free human beings on the planet. Now, politics, Thatcher's politics, Reagan's politics, have put the damper on freedom, and we are no longer free human beings. We are now, once again, slaves to the economic system and slaves to our religions, in which the religions that come out of Jerusalem allow for no transcendence. There is no transcendental. You cannot transcend in the uh, the, uh, Jerusalem-based religions. Do you think the way Morrison has been deified has undermined the achievements of, of yourself and the other two doors? Well, I think it's undermined uh, Jim's poetic Jim's poetic achievements. I think uh, deifying Jim Morrison is ridiculous. You know, uh, that's absurd. You don't de- you deify yourself. The deities are not outside of you. The deities are in your in you. Um, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Jim Morrison was a god to himself. I'm a god unto myself. You are. Everyone is. We are all gods unto ourselves. So to put it outside of yourself is uh, seeking, uh, is is a false messiah. That's a messianic. That's the the end of the millennium, the end of 2,000 years of the culture and the, the religion that we're involved in now. We're coming to the end of the millennium. The Piscean Age is going to turn over into the Aquarian age in which we'll finally begin to merge all the religions and sciences and arts and whatnot, and we'll all realize that we are gods. So to do that to Jim takes his message away. You don't listen to what Jim Morrison has to say. You just sort of look at him in his leather pants and watch him dance around and say, wow, wasn't he something, and he was Dionysus, and he was a god, a rock god. The last thing in the world Jim would Jim would want you to say, hey, man, use your brain. Hey, man, use your brain. Listen to what I have to say. Read the words. Listen to the poetry. Groove to the music. Get into the energy flow of the music and listen to the words. Forget about that God stuff, boy. That's the last thing in the world Jim would want. I went to visit his grave last year, and there was loads of people just drunk and and high on goodness knows what, just hanging around his grave. Does that upset you to see all that? Well, uh... At least they're there at his grave, you know. They're they they're coming to see a poet, you know. They're not going, uh, uh, you know. They're not going to a murderer. They're not going to uh, uh, 
a hedonist uh, uh, who, who was just uh, some other grave. They're going to Jim Morrison's grave, and Morrison, they know Morrison was a poet. They think he led a life of excess, but uh, uh, that's because of the movie. The movie has portrayed such wild uh, excess that you think that that's how Jim Morrison was, and of course, no human being could be that excessive. You know, Brendan Bayham wasn't that excessive. Nobody's that excessive the way the movie has him portrayed. Um, I like the idea of people going to Jim Morrison's grave. I, you know, I wish they wouldn't mess up the other people's graves, you know, I mean, you don't have to write on somebody else's marker, uh, you know, you can do whatever you want on Jim's, Jim wouldn't care, I don't care. You Jim. went a few years ago, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, oh, it's, uh, you know, it's, sometimes it's great, we uh, we were there, uh, actually we were there on the 10th anniversary, John and Robbie and I, and uh, Dorothy went, and uh, my wife, and uh, and Lynn went, Robbie's wife, and uh, we had a grand time, boy, it was great, people were singing Doris songs, we were drinking, we all got drunk. There were like 250 people who were just... It was a love-in. It was a mini love-in, and that is fabulous. Now, don't, don't, do, don't do the white powder. That's, that's what it's all about. It's the white powder. Lay off the crack, lay off the cocaine, lay off the heroin. That's the stuff that's really messing up this generation. Go ahead and have your drink. Be a little bit moderate in your drink. Don't drink and drive. You know. But, man, lay off the white powder. I would. Uh, I, I, that's that's the one thing I would say. Lay off the white powder. I don't. Is it? Do you have a lot of white powder problem over there, man? Here too. God, it's just ruining people's minds. You know, it's it's those are slave drugs. Cocaine and heroin are slave drugs. They don't take you to a place in your mind. Psychedelics, LSD, mushrooms, marijuana, those kind of things take you to a different place in your mind that's beyond ordinary reality. Heroin and cocaine smash you, and alcohol, all three of those things, and they're really prevalent. They smash you back into reality. They do not allow you to escape into that cleaner, purer realm that the 60s were searching for. And I suppose cynics would say, well, here's one of the doors saying that, and they were considered very rebellious and anti-authority when they were around. Who are they to start preaching to us now? Uh, I'm not preaching to you. I'm telling you, lay off that stuff. I am telling you to lay... Yes, I, you're damn right. I'm, you know, who, are, who am I to tell you? Because I see what the results are. What the results are is that you guys are stupid. You want to be stupid? We can be stupid if we want. No, you can't, man. You can't be stupid if you want. Because this, this you know, the, the planet's going to hell. We are destroying the planet. We're cutting the rainforest down. I, if the planet was functioning beautifully and you wanted to be stupid, fine. But man, don't tell me in England we can be stupid if we want. Because the English have an incredible obligation. The Americans have an incredible obligation. And we are, we are falling down on our obligation to save this fucking planet. Do you think Jim Morrison was self-destructive? Because that's always been the image he's had. Yeah, well... Yes, he died. You know, he must have been self-destructive. He died. He was 27 and a half years old. He was so young that I put in half, you know, 27 and a half. He was way too young. Yeah, it's not so much that people are self-destructive. Nobody wants to die. You never want to die. You don't realize the consequences of your actions. I don't think Jim realized the consequences of his drinking. The drinking for him uh, was so good. And God knows what he was doing in Paris. Damn. Well, I don't know what he was doing in Paris. There's a lot of rumors about, again, the white powder in Paris. There's talk of China white in Paris, some really strong, really pure China white, and, and uh, a lot of junkies. There, were, there was a, a rash of ODs 
at the time uh, that Jim Morrison died in Paris. When did you last see him or speak to him? Uh, just before he left. I didn't talk to him while he was over there. I talked to him just before he left, and that was sometime in March of uh, uh, 71. When you heard he died, did you all feel guilty that you hadn't done more to help him, perhaps try and get him out of this? No, quite frankly, no. Uh, I, I, I felt no guilt about his death at all. Uh, I felt a great sorrow and a great tragedy and a great loss uh, of a good friend. Tried to help him to get out of it. Uh, we, we did what we could. You know, I felt we did what we could. We sat down once, the three of us, uh, uh, John and Robbie and I with Jim, and it was a very difficult meeting, and we said to him, it was at Robbie's house, and I recall the afternoon, we sat uh, outside on the patio at uh, Robbie's parents' house. We were going to have a business meeting with Robbie's father and a lawyer, and before that, we, were gonna, we had a personal meeting with Jim, and all three of us said to him, look, you know, we hate to do this and hate to say it, but you're drinking too much. Your drinking is affecting you. Not affecting the band, he was always able to deliver for the most part, but it's killing you. And you really got to cut down on your drinking. And you know what Jim Morrison said? You're right. I know. I do have to cut down. I am trying to cut down. And that was the end of the meeting. What, what, what could you say? You know, What would you say to your buddy when he says, you're right, I know. Okay, man, well, you know, we're there for you. You know, you're there for me. Well, what are you going to do? Knock the drink out of my hand? You're going to watch me 24 hours a day when I reach for the bottle or I reach for a shot glass, you know? But there were occasions when he didn't go on stage and you had to sort of perform for him, as yeah. it were. Did you think because of that that you'd be able to survive without him after he died? Uh, well, after he died, we did continue on and made two more albums. Um, I think the reason we carried on is because we were in such shock that he died, and we didn't really know what to do with ourselves after that. It was like, what do you do? I mean, uh, the only reason I, I, Robbie and I did uh, the singing when uh, Jim got drunk in Amsterdam was because it was time to go on stage. That's a very funny story of Jim being carried out five minutes before. And he's being carried out on a stretcher with a, all wrapped in rubber with an oxygen mask on him. And as, our, as he's going out, our roadie, Vince, comes in and roadie says, okay, guys, five minutes. And there goes Jim Morrison out the door. And I'm standing with my head doing a Laurel and Hardy, left, right, left, right, a triple take. And I'm, God, what do we do? So uh, we went on stage and we performed the songs, and we knew the songs. Robbie knew the songs. I knew all the words. One of the interesting things about the Doors is everybody in the band knew all the words. We knew the words. I think all the fans did too. At the time, even yeah, we knew how it was supposed to go because we always listened to whatever Jim was saying, and we were working with the words of the song. He would listen to the music, the rhythm, the chord changes. We would listen to him. So all four people were really attuned to each other. But when he died. as far as carrying on, we carried on for two albums, but then it became an untenable situation without Jim, without that fourth uh, a part of the diamond. Um, it, it, it was unbalanced. The doors were unbalanced. It was, uh, you know, between John and Robbie and myself, it just didn't, it lacked that balance. And uh, I thought, uh, and, and, and it happened in London too. We had gone over to London to. Uh, perhaps find a replacement singer needing that fourth person to join into the band Howard Worth was one of the guys uh, that we had talked to and Howard was with uh, shit I can't remember the name of Howard Worth's band what the hell was that band he was with well anyway you can look that up Howard Worth uh, uh, excellent writer an excellent singer was one of the people we were going to work with somehow we never found the right person to work with and just uh, broke up 
left uh, left England. I left England and said, listen, guys, uh, you know, as much fun as it's been, uh, there's no point in carrying on anymore. I don't think we're we're not the same band. Without Jim, it's just not the same. We could add somebody else, but even then, I don't think it's going to be quite the same band. So at that point, it was time to close the doors. So what's been the relationship with you and Robbie and John ever since? Uh, guarded. Um, delicate. Uh, it's an interesting thing about rock and roll bands, how you uh, are such close brothers, uh, brothers in arms, and then once the band breaks up, uh, their edgy little things begin to get in the way. It's like a, a fabulous marriage, and now you've gotten a divorce, and uh, now you and your wife, uh, ex-wife, just sort of pick at each other. And, uh, really like that person so uh, our relationship is not that bad it, it's guarded uh, it's a delicate relationship uh, certainly ever since the movie uh, actually I haven't spoken to them since the movie <laughs> but you before, you remembered <laughs> before that everything was you know it was okay we'd see each other once a month once every two months and talk about some business and uh, you know have lunch and uh, you know, as, as we say shoot the shit but then the movie came out, and uh, a lot of people in the Doors organization went along with the film, and um, one person in the Doors organization did not go along with the film, and uh, that's the person you're interviewing now. God, I couldn't believe how everybody went along with the movie. And I, I said to people, didn't you read the script? Did you read the script? What did you think of Carl and his wig? Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't he have gotten a human hair wig at least, you know? I, did he have to have a Dinell wig? Uh, you know, I drive up and down uh, in Los Angeles and occasionally see uh, real human hair wigs. Uh, Kyle, go in there at least, will you? Does it have to be a synthetic wig? But you two became friends, didn't you? Kyle? No, Kyle actually had some terrible things to say about me, too, on, on, on uh, uh, American television. One or two lines came out of Kyle that were unbelievable to me. Is it Kyle? Well, he came to the house. We were sitting right here, and uh, I talked to him and gave him books to read. He said, what books shall I read? I said, yeah, i got two books for you. Uh, uh, Buck's book on cosmic consciousness, 1910 or so, and uh, uh, New American Poetry. I said, this is the one that started the whole thing, a Grove Press book, a New American Poetry, 1945 to 1960. Morrison's Bible in Florida, my Bible in Chicago, like this is the poetry book. This has got the Leroy Jones. This has got Allen Ginsberg. This has got McClure. This has got Gregory Corso. This has all the beats and some of the guys before the beats. Uh, fabulous books. So take this book on beat poetry because this is where the doors came from man, out of this whole poetry movement. And read this book on cosmic consciousness because it, 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 uh, it breaks down cosmic consciousness into... Uh, the various religious leaders around the world, and then uh, individuals who were just ordinary human beings, but had that moment of breakthrough, that 1960s hippie moment of breakthrough into a realm of consciousness in which all things are one. It's as simple as that. All things are one. I am you, are me, are that, are the sun. We are all one. All of life comes out of the same central source. That's God. You are that. That is you. Basically, that's what it's all about. Very simple. And so I gave him those two books to read. And uh, 
I was very impressed with Kyle. He looked great. He didn't have a wig. He had he had shorter hair. He had hair something like mine standing up. I thought, God, this guy looks cool, man. About six feet tall, broad shoulders. I said, you're going to do a real good job. I said, I don't want you to take any shit from anybody. Your director's going to give you a hard time about this movie. You're playing me. Now, you get up there. You're in control of the whole goddamn situation. You take over the situation. You play strong and hard and cool and in the script. There's, there was hardly any mention of my wife in the script. Dorothy was there before the whole thing got started. I said, in the movie, man, put your arm around your girlfriend. That's your wife. That's Dorothy. You've been living with that girl since before the doors, and that's your old lady, man. Put your arm around her. Have, you know, do a couple of little things together, you know, off to the side. They're not going to script it. It's not in the script. Do this. And, and, and be sexy with your girlfriend. This is your girlfriend, your wife, you know. This is your love mate, your love partner. For God's sake, touch her, you know. Give her a kiss, you know. Pinch her tit. Rub her ass, for God's sake. This is the woman you love. Be strong. And uh, then I saw the movie, and I thought, he, and he turned into the wood man again with the funny wig. He was so stiff. It was just like, loosen up, man. Loosen up. Give this guy a joint or something. You know, he should have he done it on hemp. Little hemp. Hemp would have been helped. Helpful hemp would have been good for him. You mentioned Dorothy. You've been together an awfully long time, haven't you? Yeah. Since the beginning, which is quite amazing for a rock and roll star. Yeah, 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 yeah. People say, well, how did you, uh, you know. So, well, well, the point is, is that your relationship with a woman is, uh, if you're a rock and roller, well, well if I was on the road and, and women are available to me, well, what is available to me? The sexual aspect of a woman. Invariably, the sexual aspect of all women is exactly the same. They're built that way. We're built the way we are. They are a receptacle. We are the red-hot poker. They, the two parts go together perfectly, regardless of what race you are or what age you are. It's all exactly the same. What you're looking for in, in uh, your other, your significant other, the other human being, is a spiritual, intellectual, um, a mental engaging, so that... Uh, your girlfriend is somebody you can go out and do something that you like and she likes together. If you just like play, if, you, if you're a football fan, don't marry a girl or don't go out, go out with a girl who wants to go to the museum. You've got to find yourself a girl who's a football enthusiast too. That way you can do things together. If you're not a gardening enthusiast and uh, your girlfriend wants to be a gardener, loves gardens, well, then don't get together with her. Go find some girl who likes drinking or something, you know. Sounds like you were very lucky to meet someone so compatible so early on. Well, you know, this, the salvation of man is in art. All you got to do is meet an artist, you know. I mean, I like to think that we're artists, you know. Uh, we're sitting around here, and we're artists, and uh, she's an artist. And uh, that's, that's the common ground that will rise above politics and industry, the world of art. If you treat enter the world of art man there's women all over the place all over the place to be compatible with have you had any children yeah well, 18 year old boy pablo he's my percussionist and uh, um, computer expert and uh, we'll be doing some music together one of these days very shortly so he's going to be a musician as time goes by probably i'm not encouraging him that way but uh you know i guess just being around here uh you know he's uh, he's, he's a philosopher musician it seems <laughs> it's just happening you know it's a difficult name to live up to though isn't it uh well a hell of a lot easier than morrison boy boy i'd hate to be and you know there's no morrison as far as i know there's no morrison kid out there there is no, there's not, Pam didn't have a, a, a child. Uh, 
There's another girl, Patricia Keneally, uh, is in the movie. She got pregnant and aborted. <laughs> this dingbat aborted Jim Morrison's, as far as I know, Jim Morrison's only child. How do you think things would have developed had Jim survived? Oh, it would be great, man. We'd be out doing poetry uh, like an American prayer. We'd be doing stuff like an American prayer, making movies of our own. Instead of instead of uh, having somebody portray the doors, we would, uh, uh, we'd be making films, you know. I don't know that we'd be starring in the films, but we'd be behind the camera making films. We'd be doing poetry and jazz. We uh, uh, would be doing uh, uh, multimedia events. Um, We'd be doing all kinds of things. Do the other three of you still get called to reunite in any way? <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, we got a call uh, just the other day from Mexico. Would, uh, would, uh, the, would the three doors reunite with, uh, and say, well, and, and do what? Well, get a lead singer, anybody. They, they didn't care. You know, they didn't care who. Get the guy from Wild Child. There's a local band here called Wild Child as a Doors tribute, and they're quite good. It's, get the guy from Wild Child. Uh, get Val Kilmer. John Travolta, get anybody, it doesn't matter. Just get the three of them together and a lead singer. Imagine that, John Travolta or Val Kilmer. You know, I never met Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer never came by to say, how'd he do, I'm playing Jim. I'm going to punch that guy out someday. Man. Well, maybe not. I like to, it sounds good in print. I'm going to punch that guy out someday. Do, do, you, do you ever still um, play the songs at all? amongst yourselves or whatever I mean with yourself and your wife or whatever do you ever still play the old Doors numbers oh the records well sure we play the records yeah of course you don't play any on the keyboards of the uh, I played those songs quite a few times yeah I mean there's no real desire on my part to sit down and I you know I think I'll play Light My Fire in a sort of little cocktail version uh, <laughs> <laughs> You know, play the solo. Hey, I'm going to play the solo again. Now, see, that's what I enjoy doing with McClure. That's why I'm playing with McClure. I get to play the piano. I can sit up on stage for an hour to an hour and a half and play the piano. I'm the only musician up there. Man, I get to play everything and anything. I throw Doors songs in. What we do a uh, we do a tribute to Jim, uh, uh, a, a uh, in memoriam that Michael has written a uh, an ode to Jim Morrison. I play Riders on the Storm as the background to the piece, and then my, uh, Michael reads uh, the ode to Jim Morrison over Riders on the Storm, and uh, I, I do a 3-4 a version of Light My Fire, ding, 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 like a John Coltrane thing in, in, in a song called The Last Waltz. So I stick those Doors things into my performances with Michael McClure. But they're sort of hidden and cryptic, and uh, and you know they're for really knowledgeable Doors fans. And people come up and say, "I know what you were doing in that song, Ray. You were playing da 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 da." I said, "That's right. You caught it." So actually, I guess I do do those things. You know, I just don't do them at home. I do them on stage. That's funny. How do you feel when you see the old film or listen to the old records? Oh, they're really good. I, I find the music to be uh, uh, excellent. The music is excellent and uh, really stands up. And I don't think people have even begun to understand the philosophical import of the words. Um, they're still enamored of Jim Morrison's tight leather pants and concho belt, and now his wild, wild lifestyle. <laughs> so you don't feel you've been given the credit you deserve? Uh, not so much credit, understanding. I, God, we've got credit, you know. I, uh, <laughs> more credit than I think I, I want. You know, I think we've gotten more credit than we deserve. I don't want that kind of credit. You know, uh, we were driving in Berlin, and it was major, one of the, the largest movie theater in Berlin. 
guy pointed uh, with us, and he said, you were up there, Ray, see that big marquee? And they had a huge billboard of some movie up there. And he said, three months ago, that was The Doors. Well, I'd rather have not, thank you, had that acclaim and had a more poetic understanding, philosophical understanding of the music, the vibration, and the words of Jim Morrison. Do you still believe in what The Doors stood for? Oh, absolutely. Once you break on through to the other side, you're out there. There, You can't come back. You know, you can come back, but that door is always open. Uh, William Blake, once the doors of perception are cleansed, they're cleansed forever. You will see things as they truly are, infinite. And once you see the infinity in things, you can't go back to believing it's a closed world. Once, the wor once existence has opened itself up, that's the whole point of it, man. William Blake, you know, read your Blake. That's what it's all about. Blake opens the doors of perception. Bam, you're out there. You are in outer space. We are all in outer space. So there's nowhere to go back to. I'm just sitting here waiting. Ah, my dad, Bob Dylan, is sitting watching the river flow. I'm sitting waiting for the next generation or two to catch up to this already. God. Have you seen any bands that compare in any way? Well, a lot of people, you know, you too, certainly, and Echo and the Bunny Men, and, uh, you know, people who uh, ad adapt things from the doors. Uh, but uh, I, I, don't, I don't think uh, any band should try to play like the doors. You know, you should pick up the philosophical import and, and, and the uh, rhythmic, uh, the, the rhythmic and, and melodic ideas of the doors, but then adapt them to your own music. Uh, but yeah, there's quite a few bands that use similar, have a similar, it's minor, it's a minor overtone, uh, I think, that The Doors would be probably most famous for. What are your f most favorite Doors numbers? Oh, gosh, uh, you know, certainly Light My Fire, on stage you get to stretch out and play your solo, so that was always fun to play. It's interesting, uh, Rob, John and Robbie and I love to play Light My Fire. It was one of Jim's least favorite songs because he's got his two verses and they have to be done the same way and there's no real room for him to stretch out or do anything. And then he would sit down on John's drum riser, have a beer, and the three of us would go on and improvise for 15 or 20 minutes. So we were having a grand time playing and every once in a while he'd come in and stick in some poetry so he got a little bit in the middle. And then uh, the end of the song is the next uh, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and out. So for him it, was, uh, it wasn't a, a great joy but uh, I'd say playing live, Light My Fire. Um, listening uh, musically, uh, uh, Riders on the Storm on, in the weather we've just had, uh, certainly I'm sure Riders on the Storm gets played a lot in England. Um, and uh, man, driving, I'll tell you, <laughs> for a European, driving on the American highways, listening to L.A. Woman, whew, <laughs> from from L.A., uh, the freeway that goes out through the valley and out into the great central valley of California, the uh, uh, San Joaquin Valley, then up to uh, San Francisco, driving that road and listening to L.A. Woman and, you know, hauling ass 65, 70, 75 miles an hour. It's about as fast as we can go without getting busted here. Maybe up to 80. But hitting that highway at 80 miles an hour and hear Morrison singing, driving down your freeway. Whew. Man, oh man, I still get a chill doing it. <laughs> do, you know, do you never get fed up of hearing about the doors and hearing people wanting to talk to you about it? Has it not been a big burden over the years? Well, only when the questions are stupid. You know, I get a lot of stupid questions and 
you know, and they haven't done their homework, and if you're going to come to me and ask me questions about the doors, well, you better have done a little bit of homework anyway. You know, where did, where, where did you guys first get started? Uh, uh, you know, get out of here with those questions, you know, because it's too philosophical to talk about that. Um, I would rather talk about the doors uh, in, in my life than talk about what I did in high school or talk about what I did in college. I find the doors to be uh, eminently fascinating and virtually, uh, uh, you know, a... a an infinite subject to peruse from various aspects, uh, depending on how hip the interviewer is. There are many ways of talking about the doors. There's a whole Freudian psychology to talk about the doors. There's a Jungian psychology to talk about the doors. There's, there, there, there's cosmic consciousness, transcendental thought. How does Indian mysticism fit into the doors? How does Freud relate to it? Jazz. I mean, we didn't talk about jazz. What are the jazz roots of the Doors? John Coltrane, Miles Davis, etc., etc. How about the blues? Let's talk about the blues and the way the blues fits into the Doors. Robbie's flamenco guitar. Robbie Krieger in flamenco guitar. Manseric in his classical piano studies. I mean, there's just uh, Morrison's philosophical and uh, literary background. Rimbaud, the Beats, poetry. I mean, you know, all those subjects. Uh, film. Jim Morrison and I met in the film school at UCLA. There's another subject, world cinema, to talk about. So you could talk about all of those things in relationship to the doors. So, you know, I find it fascinating. Do you see yourself going more into the poetry and music side of things or the film world? Yes, all of the above. <laughs> all of the above. Uh, the future is wide open, uh, you know. The future's uncertain and the end is always near, so dance and create and think as hard as you can before we leave this body. So that's what I'm going to do. I've got, uh, you know, yesterday was my birthday. I turned 53. And, uh, you know, I've got 35, you know, I've got a good 30, 50, yeah, I've got 30 years of creativity ahead of me. And I'm going to just burn. I'm just going to burn until... Damn, one day he's gone, man. That's it. But until then, it's going to be movies, it's going to be poetry, it's going to be music. Uh, you know, eventually I'll get around to writing a philosophical tome on the doors and my relationship to Jim Morrison and his to me. That'll come later. Twenty. That's got to, that'll wait for the 21st century. We're not ready for my observations uh, on Jim Morrison yet, but we will be in the 21st century. So you're going to write a book, then, are you? Well, 21st century. You know. Which is not that far off, but not until the, not a, not until we switch over the millennia, <laughs> not until we find out whether or not the uh, born again Christians in uh, what is it 19, uh, 1998 or ninety nine the end of the world comes and the rapture happens. Uh, uh, a lot of people here in America are waiting for rapture. Is is, is born again Christianity big uh, over there? Yeah, it's not as big as it's any. big here, man. God, it's big here. You know, one out of every three people I've heard. You know, I've heard figures uh, as, as high as 75. Yeah, 75 million people, 75 to 100 million people consider themselves to be actual born again Christians, and we won't get into that. I mean, I love Jesus. What a wonderful message. But then I also love Buddha. You know, and uh, uh, you know all the yogis. And uh, you know, like like Gandhi said, I am a Christian. I am a Jew. I am a Hindu. I am a Muslim. I am a Buddhist. I am a Native American. And so are you. And so are the doors. 
not to trivialize things too much, but you love parrots too. Why do you love parrots so much? No, oh, Booty the Parrot. Yeah, parrots are, I don't know, parrots are, are happening now. Parrots are uh, uh, all over America. People are starting to get birds. I think it. I think it's got something to do with the Egyptians. The uh, The symbol of the human soul was uh, a, a hawk, you know, certainly uh, Horus the hawk. In the English-speaking world, for some reason or other, great need in the English-speaking world to take flight for the spirit to take flight and the birds are representing a way and especially parrots they make such fabulous pets and they're so incredibly colorful so it's like the third we enter the third world through those green and red and blue birds you know you can you can join your colored brothers and sisters through that bird who is going to take flight your soul is going to take flight and of course, ultimately, the 21st century is going to be that merger of black, yellow, brown, red, blue, pink, green, all of us coming together to create a, uh, you know, a new society, a new world society in which we will all take flight, heal the planet, get the trees growing, clean up the water, lots of good world beat music, and uh, men and women, and then we can fuck our brains out. But all kinds of beautiful people, you know. Are you going to stay in Los Angeles in the future? Uh, who knows? Who knows? I I I, I plan to uh, uh, perhaps get away, you know. But uh, if once LA Woman gets started, and uh, you know, I, I might stay here for another. Uh, it, it, it depends on how things go with uh, my film, uh, the film side of my life. Uh, if I can actually get those uh, films off the ground that I want to do, I'll stay here for a while because it's the center of uh, you know the film industry. Um, if not, I'll move out sooner. If 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 it all takes off the way I have it planned, more or less, uh, you know, another ten years here and I'm out, man. Yeah. How long have you been in this house? What's the story of this house? This house? Uh, we moved here when Pablo, when it was time for Pablo to go to high school. He went to grammar school. We lived up in the Hollywood Hills, right by the Hollywood sign. Every day we would go home, drive up Beechwood Canyon, right up to the Hollywood sign, and there it was. And we saw it coming down when they tore it down, and then they were putting it back up. And Pablo, one of the ways he learned how to spell, he was about three, four, five years old, he would look out the window, and, and each day there would be another letter, or every two or three days, and, you know, what's that? It's an O, okay, what is that? H-O, H-O, what is that spell? Ho! And we would just follow the progress of the Hollywood sign going up. So we lived there, and then he graduated high school, uh, grammar school, and it was time to go to high school. And uh, the high school down the street was uh, Switchblade Junior High, so I did not want him to send him to Switchblade High, with all the gangs and said, okay, unfortunately we have to move out of uh, the Hollywood Hills. So we came here to Beverly Hills and found a uh, little Spanish house on Rodeo Drive and uh, then put uh, the accumulated, uh, our, my share of the accumulated Doors wealth into remodeling this uh, lovely little Spanish house. And it's now Dorothy's art piece. Mm -hmm. What she's doing, this is her art piece. This is uh, a an, an site-specific installation called Home. And that's what she's doing. She uh, works on the garden in the front and the back and uh, the painting. And, uh, you know, I create here and then she creates the environment in which we create. What else? You, you work out in the gym and so on as well? You, what yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. You got it. Well, sure, you got to. Yeah. Gosh, 53 years old, i got to keep it shape. You know. And uh, like Mick, Mick is in shape, you know, perhaps a touch anorexic, but, uh, you know, looking look, really good, man. That guy, what is Mick now, 48, 49? And he's in... He's in great shape. Actually, all the stones are in good shape, you know? 
Charlie's in good shape? Well, yeah. He's alive. <laughs> you know? Is he? Yeah. <laughs> We've been wondering that for the last ten years. Have you? <laughs> I see him on TV. Keith, how you doing? Finally, Ray, your hopes for the future, your plans for the future, thoughts? A world harmony, a world at peace and love and harmony, and uh, uh, let peace reign over the planet, and uh, let, uh, let all the races dwell together in harmony, rhythm, uh, good food, good drink, good sex, good drugs, you know, stay high and love life. If the 21st century could get into that, man, who cares? You know, I don't care. I don't care what happens to me. People have said, how would you like to be remembered? Who cares about being remembered? And tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow is ours. And when do we start to implement the, you know, the new reality? When do the young people take over this planet already? Gosh, we came so close in the 60s, it didn't happen. And Thatcher and Reagan, and they just, and they crushed it down. And uh, we got to bring it back. We've just got to bring back that uh, make love, not war. <laughs>